Welcome back, Wildcat Faithful, to the Wildcat Radio Podcast, recording in the Vivid Seat Studios. My name is Ronnie Stoffel, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Adam Green. Adam, red and blue game, basketball in the air. The Wildcats are riding a three-game win streak, believe it or not, first time in the Kevin Sumlin area. How's everything going on your end, man? Oh, really good. Yeah. You know, the red-blue game was always, it's always fun. No matter how good the team might be, it's great to see them because they always look good in that game. And, of course, for football, that was about as close to win as we've seen. And I was trying to think, when was the last time we saw Arizona win a game when the other team missed a field goal at the end? Right? Like we, yeah. we see it a handful of times where Arizona misses the field goal. I don't remember the last time where it was the other way around. So to kind of have those nerves running at the very end and to then once the kick is made or is kicked to have that sense of relief and excitement. I don't remember how long it's been, or I don't know how long it's been, but certainly a, another good weekend for the Arizona Wildcats. Fair question. And I, I think the answer is, and you know, hopefully our listeners will keep us honest on this, but I think it was Washington 2014. I think it was Chris Peterson's first year. And uh, we, but that was a year where Scourin made the kick. He made, he, he made, Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. He made it. They didn't miss it. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Scrap that. I don't know then. That's, that's yeah. a very good point. That's uh. the first one that came to my mind, too, as like a game winner. But I'm trying to think of the last time that Arizona won on a game losing field goal from <laughs> yes. someone else, I guess, yes. if you can frame it like that. And I guess it's all the same if you make the kick it's as exciting, too. But, you know, it's like think of you know how asu fans felt at the end of the game last season against arizona when it was this kick goes in you lose the game the kick goes it misses you win the game and it missed they won and like i i don't remember the last time it happened but there's a certain sense of euphoria that goes with that and along with relief it's one thing when you make the kick it's just pure excitement yeah when they miss the kick it's like Whew, okay thank you <laughs> it's just so relieving and you know i i guess you know asu's actually been a little lucky a few times over the last few games right because michigan state comes to mind too but i uh, don't want to go too far down this path i guess with asu because this is strictly uh arizona wildcats today anyway we're gonna leave that crummy school out of it i guess but yes point well taken that that, <laughs> that is true um yeah we'll have to we'll have to look into that and figure that out because I, I definitely don't have one that comes to mind then but uh but Adam, yeah, let's go ahead. Um, let's hop in here for, for all of our listeners who you may be confused. You haven't heard from Bryant or Rob this week yet. Um, they are, Bryant decided to go take a family vacation. So damn him. And it's kind of screwed up our schedule a little bit. So he's actually. Um, Come on. <laughs> I know. What is he thinking? Uh, they They are going to be taking care of the Colorado preview this week. Uh, and then Adam and I are going to be handling the UCLA review uh, recap, if you will. So uh, apologies for uh, being about a day or two late on this. Uh, schedules get a little nuts, but yeah, we're going to take care of that today. And then we're also going to touch on a little red and blue uh, scrimmage action uh, t- towards the end. But first, first will be football. But Adam, before we get to football, taking care of a couple housekeeping items, uh, Wildcat Radio, podcast subscribe for free through itunes google play stitcher tune in any podcast catcher uh also follow the podcast on social media 
uh, at Wildcat Radio AZ is our Twitter handle, as well as Facebook Wildcat Radio. Also, be sure to check out our website. So again, as mentioned last time, it is no longer WildcatRadioAZ.com. We have merged that content with Mr. Rob Bowron's SharpCollegeFootball.com, the exclusive home of his beta rank, as well as all the... And we'll leave that uh, to Brian to provide the updates. Um, but uh, yeah, that's basically all I got. I know I, I definitely lost... Uh, a couple weeks ago when UCLA went ahead and put up seven points uh, in Pullman. But um, I think, Same. I, yeah, yeah, I think that probably took care of a few of us anyway. But uh, best of luck to anyone who's still out there. I mean, definitely uh, good luck to the listeners. It'd be definitely um, fun if we can get some of you guys uh, to, to, to knock off the podcast host. So, Adam, without further ado, as mentioned, three-game win streak, UCLA pretty high level before we actually dive into the box score and look at some of the more uh, statistical breakdowns. Um Let's start first half. What were your thoughts? Obviously, no Khalil Tate. That broke not uh, a couple hours or so before kickoff. Also, no J.J. Taylor. Um, I personally wish that I had at least a day or two to to mentally prepare because I was very upset when I heard that, and it was so close to kickoff. The whole time I'm thinking, we cannot lose this game. That's insane. Um, Your thoughts on no J.J. Taylor, no Khalil Tate, and then what you saw in the first half. Yeah, well, when you find out that no Tate, no Taylor, your first thought was, well, this is still a must-win game, right? All the stuff that was true for the reasons why Arizona couldn't afford to lose to UCLA was there, but yet you had the unknown of, well, this is a second straight game against UCLA that Tate's going to miss, and the last time they played the Bruins, Arizona lost by one at the Rose Bowl last season. So it's I'm still one of those people who believes that this team's best chance to win is with Khalil Tate at quarterback, no matter what you thought of Grant Cannell before the game. I still maintain that. So you're saying, okay, now they're going to be missing Khalil Tate, their most dynamic player. Taylor, they could probably do without because you have Brightwell, you have Bam Smith, you have Tilford, you have Wiley. Like that's one position where I feel like they could afford to be missing their best player because there's plenty of other guys there to carry the load. But I just didn't know what this team would look like without Khalil Tate because the only time we saw that last season, they weren't that good. So you go into this game with those nerves, and of course the offense starts off really slow. Um, the first drive, a couple of the good runs, and then a drop pass, and then Gunnell looked a little antsy at times, a little jumpy, looked like a freshman at a few times, and of course the missed field goal. Like there were things that weren't going well, and yet the first half Arizona was just down seven to six. And my fear was, well, the Bruins get the ball to start the third quarter, this could be ugly because I just don't know how good Arizona, this Arizona offense is out Tate. Because say what you will about the guy, they're a much better team, or at least their offense is much more dynamic with Khalil Tate behind center. So that was my big concern. My big canal was in there. We didn't know what to expect from him. And through the first 30 minutes of football, it was okay. He was fine, but he wasn't playing well enough to win the game. Yeah, I think it's really fair. And, you know, obviously I, I 100% agree as far as, you know, Khalil Tate gives us the best chance to win. I mean, especially maybe understand the argument, you know, uh, maybe his sophomore year in 2017, uh, when he just really hadn't developed as much of a passer yet and he was doing it all with his legs you know maybe made some poor decisions last year on and off obviously injury plague so it's kind of tough to really to really say uh, one way or the other on that but him as a senior and just with the experience that he has I mean I don't think that there's any debating that uh, he Arizona's best chance to win is with him in the starting lineup on offense commanding offense now having said that there's obviously been a lot of hype around what what everyone's seen with Grant Gunnell um, and and you know I, it's funny, you know, early on, you know, as, as I was trying, as it was finally starting to set in like, oh no, 
Like there, there is no Quill Tate. All right. Well, let's get, you know, let, let's get past that, right? Uh, let's break this down to where UCLA is still not that good of a team, right? And we talked about this last week, Adam, when we were actually previewing this mm-hmm. uh, with, with Jake and from the What's Brewing podcast. They, they just, there's still something about them. I wasn't buying into what happened up in Washington State was so fluky. I wasn't ready to buy into that. So I think, you know, having, having settled a little bit and, and kind of recollected myself and, and focusing on that point, then settling in, you know, with what we saw, granted it was against NAU with Grant Cannell. I mean, he looked, he looked good, you know, from, 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 uh, from time to time, you know, overall what we've seen from him so far has been a good thing. Um, he looked in the first couple drives, Adam, he definitely looked like the, the moment was too big for him. And you could even almost see it in his eyes. You know, like there was a lot, lot going on there. And, and I can't blame him. You know, like I said, NAU, I'm glad that he got experience. Uh, but this is UCLA. Now, they, I don't care what you say is, you know, like a, a one in three UCLA, the same team that's won, you know, four of their last 16 games, whatever. Um, this is still power five D1 talent. And, uh, and you know, they... They, they did a good job, I think, uh, they being Noel Mazzoni, as far as, you know, kind of dialing up some things just to take the pressure off him early on to just help him get settled in. I do feel like he did get settled in. Now, the score didn't necessarily reflect that, but uh, a couple of things come to mind, right? Uh, just Brian Steele on those kind of things, you know, he just snaps the ball and just like tosses it to him, like basically just leaves it out there. Actually, I think the first two plays were those. They ran it to the left, and then they ran it back to the right. And uh, it, it was just it was just nice to see a couple first downs. Obviously, from there, uh, you didn't do much. Ended up punting on a fourth and eleven, about meal. But as far as you know, like like the field position game was concerned, I guess I should actually preface with, you know, yes, they did a good job of punting, getting that out of the way. Uh, but then UCLA takes the ball and marches right down the field, right? I mean, they go 85 yeah. yards in 12 plays. And you kind of start thinking like, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. But you know what? Credit to the defense. Once again, they did an excellent job of keeping kind of just things under wraps because it did feel like things could get a little nuts uh, early on, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It did. And that was the fear because when UCLA went right down the field, it's if Kulipte was playing and this game became a shootout, you at least felt comfortable with Arizona's chances of keeping up in a shootout with Kulipte. And with Grant Gannell, you just didn't know. And yeah, he looked good against NAU when Arizona was up huge against NAU. And whether the moment was too big, like UCLA's not a good team. We we discussed that last week and nothing that's happened since we talked about that has changed my mind. I don't think it's changed your mind no. either. But yet Gannell, we just didn't know what to expect. Would he be capable of scoring, you know, leading an offense that would score 35, 45 points if that's what needed to happen. And that was just, we didn't know. And everyone was hopeful, but even in the first couple of drives he had, they didn't exactly instill much more confidence. You're like, okay, he's, I guess, managing the game okay, but of course UCLA is sending stuff at him that Arizona probably didn't game plan for. And I know Kevin Sullivan talked about that after the game and said they said they ran some blitzes that they hadn't run all season because they didn't have to run Kilo Tate. You know, so the, the question was, would Grant Gannell get more comfortable as the game wore on, as he got a little more experience in this game? And through the first 30 minutes, it was 7-6 at halftime with UCLA leading, and Gannell had shown some flashes, had made some good throws, some good reads. He hadn't put the ball in danger, which was good, but kind of got the impression or the feeling, at least I did, that being a game manager wasn't going to be enough, mm-hmm. that he was going to have to make a couple of throws and score some points in this game because as good as the defense was giving up those seven points in the first half, I don't know if any of us are still in position and feel good enough to trust Arizona's defense to put together a full 60 minutes of good football. And to their credit, they did that in this game. But just at halftime, it was like, okay, it's 7-6. But if Arizona needs to score 24, 27, 28 points, 
are they going to be able to do that? And nothing that Ganell had done up to that indication that he could, mm-hmm. um, other than the fact that he wasn't turning the ball over, but he was a running threat, and that hurt Arizona's running game. Everybody was wondering why the Wildcats weren't throwing the ball or why they weren't running the ball in the first half of that game. Well, outside of those jet sweeps, where they even they weren't moving the ball on the ground. Right. Igbo <laughs> wasn't exactly chewing up yards. Bam Smith wasn't chewing up yards. So you could kind of understand that. And really, UCLA's probably their defense was let's load the box and dare Grant Canal to beat them. Mm-hmm. And if you're Noah Mazzoni, you either so you're saying you run right into the teeth of that defense. You know, it's like, oh, we got a freshman in there. Can't throw the ball. Oh, well. Or do you say you're going to trust your true freshman quarterback who everyone's raved about, who understands the offense, and say, you know what? We're going to believe that he can go out there and keep us in this game. And to his credit, he did that. So I, I, don't, I wasn't disappointed in the first half. I wasn't upset. I was nervous after the first half. But it was kind of a nervous, kind of similar to what it was to speak the beginning of the game when you knew that Tate wasn't going to play. It was that, all right, like this is Grant Canelli. He's probably the future. Let's see what he can do. Let's see if he can be the type of quarterback who can win a Pac-12 game, not just manage one and help you not lose it, but can he be the guy who wins a Pac-12 game? In the first half, he wasn't good enough to do that. Yeah, no, de- definitely not. And, and you know what? It was even kind of frustrating, too, to watch the defense uh, secondary perspective. Um, and, and then, it, so I'll, I'll start with this. There was just so much cushion, and we have just, just cornerbacks. I mean, I don't think there's any denying that now. Like, our secondary is just so solid, specifically at the cornerback position. And just watching the cushions and then watching DTR just be able yeah. to break off, like, these six, seven, eight-yard chunks at a time and set up these second and third and shorts, it was just so frustrating to watch. But what I'll say, and I, I, you know, it credit to Lorenzo Burns, and then also credit to, to to Marcel Yates. I mean, he deserves some credit here. That one interception that happened uh, after after the touchdown took place, I, I think it was either the next possession or the possession thereafter. Um, it, it was the possession thereafter because it went touchdown, turnover on downs, and interception. Um, Lorenzo Burns totally baited DTR into throwing that ball, and he was just sitting there. Perfectly. Oh, yeah. and that was a big, big, big moment because that was right after the missed field goal, right? You finally feel like, all right, yeah, sweet. Like, stopped him on fourth down. Like, great job defense. You know, position, like, oh, we're at least get a field goal out of this. And then poor Lucas Haversek, you know, misses it, right? <laughs> Goodness gracious. I mean, of all things, right, the defense has just been, this has been consistent, right? I mean, obviously, it wasn't uh, as, as much volume as we've seen in the Hawaii game or even like the NAU game for that matter. But timely turnovers and I guess just turnovers in generals or, or takeaways rather uh you know interception we didn't get in the end zone but it set up a nice little another field goal a little shot for Lucas uh, Haversek to redeem himself so yeah no overall I guess kind of bringing that back full skull was it was just frustrating because yes you know Grant Cannell did start to settle in uh there were a couple bright spots I would say in the first half um but but it was just nice that the defense and then even though Lucas had missed that field goal ended up hitting two more before halftime to really you know just just basically make it an even game at the half. Yeah, and that's the thing, the defense, and they deserve all the credit for this game. And they really deserve all the credit for the last two wins, where they've held teams to 17 and 14 points. Texas Tech, like, this is a defense that when your offense isn't, so many times it's been with this team from the Rich Rodriguez era until now, where unless they scored 40-plus points, they weren't going to win. And that's where I think the nerves came, because if if we were comfortable with this defense and thought that the Wildcats, could hold a team like UCLA with DTR to 17 points, then them being down 7-6 at halftime wouldn't have been worrisome. It's like, oh yeah, Arizona can get to 20. They can get a couple of touchdowns, right? Like, that would have been the thought, but I don't know if that was the case in this one. Maybe, and 
UCLA's not good, so I don't think it's right for us to say they did this, therefore Arizona's defense is back, Marcel Yates has saved his job, and Desert Swarm is returning to Tucson. It's, it's way too early for that, but at the same time, we're starting to see a little bit more evidence now that this defense, while maybe not great, can be okay, can be decent, which means your offense doesn't have to score Tons and tons of points. Just have to score drive after drive because yeah, this game Arizona didn't score until what? Their one, two, three, fourth possession of the game when they yeah. got a field goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but previous seasons, even against Hawaii, for instance, like these types of things would cost Arizona a game yeah. if they fell behind like that. But in this case, they were only down seven nothing at the time. You got you talked about the timely interception from Lorenzo Burns and Arizona got stops on fourth down and they were just doing things to keep them in the game. Where it's like, okay, you don't have to score a lot of points, just score enough. Don't turn the ball over, you know, don't put the defense in a bad spot. And you can win football like that. ASU's been doing it all season. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like don't you have to do anything special offensively, but you have to just keep your team in it, make one more play than the other guys did, or hope that they make one more mistake than you do and win the game. And that's not to say that this is a signature win because it's not. But for Arizona to win a game like this, it's the type of game, especially with a backup quarterback who's a true freshman, without your star running back, to say, you know what, you can rely on the defense, and they got the job done. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's it would have been exciting to see Grant Gannell go out there and torch UCLA and throw for 360 yards and five touchdowns. But conversely, like this is also very exciting because it's just more evidence that the defense... I. I love the storyline where they're talking about the Texas Tech game where Arizona decided, you know what, we're going to put Anthony Pandy out there. It's like, just put your most talented defensive players on the field, find a way to get your top three linebackers out there. It's like, really? You guys didn't think of that before, that <laughs> your best defense is you're having yeah. your best playmaking linebackers who can rush the quarterback, tackle in space, and drop back into coverage? Like, I, I hope it's not that simple because as much credit as you want to give them all for this newfound, this renaissance defensively, it's also like, oh, God, like, really? It kind of feels like, that simple. Just, like, if it's that simple, then I'm glad they figure it out now. But, you know, like, if that's really the case, like, defense does travel. Defense is sustainable. And game like this, Colin Schooler had a good game. Mm-hmm. Tony Fields had a good game. Harris made a couple of plays. And, of course, the secondary. So it's starting to seem repeatable. And... You have to figure if Khalil Tate comes back healthy, and we know what he can be when he's healthy. We know what he's also what he is when he's hurt, lower body with his legs, ankles, and stuff. But if he comes back healthy, and the offense gets back to what it was, say against, can even say Hawaii, but NAU, just we know what the offense can be. If you have that with a defense that can hold a UCLA to 17, maybe hold better teams to 24, 27, 28 points, then Arizona has a chance. It has a really good chance. So. This was an interesting game. I know we haven't gone to the second half yet, but just overall, this was a type of game where it's it's hard to be upset about it. You're never upset about a win, but just the way it happened, it wasn't flashy, and yet it was so satisfying for how Arizona got this one done. And shout out to the refs and some of their interesting spots on Arizona yeah. fourth down runs mm-hmm. that may probably they didn't look on TV like they were first down. So shout out to the ref for helping them out there, giving them a break. Arizona usually doesn't get those breaks. It seems like this game, they needed them, but just, it was a type of game that we haven't seen from Arizona too often. And yet it's a type of game that when you do see it, you can't help but appreciate it. I certainly appreciate it. It was definitely a hard fought win. And, and, and even a first half, as you mentioned, we'll, we'll get to the second half here in just a sec. But Adam, before we do, I want to go ahead and plug Vivid Seat Studios. So for anybody traveling up to Colorado, up to Boulder this weekend to check out the the showdown of the uh, 
There is currently a tie for the Pac-12 South, and that tie involves your Arizona Wildcats and the Colorado <laughs> Buffaloes, believe it or not. So anybody that's going to see that that tiebreaker, that tie-breaking game for uh, for sole possession of first place in the Pac-12 South, be sure to use the Vivid Seat Mobile Studios, or excuse me, Vivid Seats Studio Mobile app, of course. Uh, that would be using promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R. T-I-M-E, and you can get a pretty sweet discount on, on the purchase of your first tickets. Again, that is going to only be for first-time users only. Adam, moving on to the second half, though. So the second half is really when you saw things kind of start rolling a little bit, right? And there was a little life uh, in the offense on both sides. Um, let's go ahead and start, I guess, just at the top then, right? So Arizona takes over, uh, or excuse me, Arizona kicks off to UCLA Arizona received the first half kick and I I guess you know a lot to take away from from the from the first half as far as the defensive performance you kind of saw some things starting to work offensively what were your thoughts going into the second half what did you want to see and then what ultimately were you pleased with I guess overall very pleased with the defense giving up only seven points the fact that Arizona was in the game Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, the offense started to show some signs of life, but you kind of wonder, especially with a freshman quarterback, can they punch it into the end zone? Is he going to take those chances? Is he willing to make those throws? And I know there was somebody, one of the field goals they had to settle for, he missed a couple open guys in the end zone on back-to-back plays, actually. Gunnell did just overthrew him a little bit. But just very pleased with the defense, but also wondering how long will that hold up? because DTR had played, he looked okay, and Joshua Kelly was looking okay, and you just wonder, it's like the dam is going to break at some point on this defense, and you just hope that the offense was going to be able to respond when that did happen, because you didn't think they were going to hold UCLA to seven points, at least I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know how many they would give up in the second half, but that was my thought going to the second half, like, okay, Arizona's still in the game. They may not deserve to be, but they're still in the game. Mm-hmm. Now, do they have enough in them to take the lead, and then win the game. And again, it was still the same nerves because this was a game that Arizona could not afford to lose in any way if they were hoping to make a bowl game this season and to feel like they could lose this game because they're missing their starting quarterback, that hurt. It was pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, everything kind of, you know, it it obviously it all pieced together pretty well. Um, But ultimately, again, just a a hard fought win there, you know, and and there was a situation too, where I felt like, you know, so obviously UCLA gets the ball, uh, they come out, they, they, they kick the field goal and then Grant Gannell just puts a perfect wheel route, right? Bam Smith. I mean, obviously it was just a breakdown in coverage and and it was kind of surprising too, because in that situation, when you're talking about the running back with the wheel route, um, that ends up, there's a blown coverage. I mean, that coverage at all is on the linebackers and UCLA, obviously aside from Darnay Holmes, who's going to be a hands down or first rounder uh, in the NFL, they have other NFL talent at that linebacking position. And that was just straight. Uh, it was just a straight miss in coverage, right? I mean, those guys are plenty athletic and, and plenty good to sniff that out and defend it. And they did not. So that really worked out beautifully. Um, just, just a quick, yeah, one for one, 75 yard touchdown pass to Bam Smith. Uh, just like that, Arizona takes the first lead of the night. Um, and then of course, you know, a little bit back and forth, a couple punts here and there. Uh, but then UCLA finds the end zone right after that. And that's when maybe you kind of start thinking like oh boy here we go you know like the offenses are kind of figuring out the defenses and we are going to be in store for a nice little fourth quarter ended up not being the case at all right uh little did we know that would be the last time ucla would score uh obviously uh, we put together a nice little 
75-yard, I believe it was a 10-play, 75-yard drive. Uh, Grant Cannell, bravo on that, sprinkle in some runs. And, of course, Gary Brightwell punches it in 10 yards out, uh, and Arizona takes the lead 2017. You know, overall, I mean, and then, of course, all that happens there at the end. Uh, and, and, Adam, I, I guess actually – you know what? Actually, before we do, we do have to plug a couple more uh, ads here. So give me one sec. Uh, everyone, well, a little cliffhanger. Uh, keep everybody on the, on, the, on, the, on the edge of your seats there. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple sponsors. All right, Adam. So circling back to this, right? So Arizona marches down the field early fourth quarter, as mentioned, 10 plays, 75 yards, regains the lead, 2017. Um, ultimately, I mean, we can fast forward to the final possession from UCLA, right? Arizona did a good job of keeping keeping them far enough away. I mean, right, like it didn't really feel like that. I never thought that they were going to punch it in for, for a touch and them being UCLA. So I felt comfortable with that. And honestly, too, if you're the home team, especially when you're playing that somebody's like comparable in talent as UCLA is to Arizona, it did feel like, okay, well, if this thing goes overtime, like obviously you'd rather win it in regulation. But if it does have to go overtime, you kind of feel good about your chances. Um, yeah, I didn't. You didn't. Okay. Well, that's okay. So, um, no, no. What, oh, well, maybe, maybe let's just right there. What, what didn't you like about the chances of going to overtime? Just the way Arizona was scoring offensively. They had two touchdown drives in the second half. One was the 75 yard wheel route on one play, which was blown coverage, great play design. It worked, but that really doesn't help you in overtime. And then the last one was a 10 play, 75 yard drive. Like this was not an offense that I trusted from in an overtime setting when you start with the ball to punch it into the end zone. And the one thing I noticed during the game was DTR wasn't really running in the second half. And of course, then he got hurt. So that changed things, but just the way the offenses were, the fact that Joshua Kelly was just running through Arizona's defense. He was having a great second half and Arizona didn't really have an answer for that on their own offensive side. Just, I wouldn't have trusted that Arizona could punch the ball into the end zone. Okay. And obviously I'm glad it didn't have to happen. I'm glad I didn't have to find out. But even like that, that second half, Arizona takes the 20 to 17 lead, forces a punt, and you're like, okay, this game, you know, they could end this game right here. Just one more score, and you do it. And Arizona went eight plays, 42 yards, and punted it away themselves. And it was a good punt. It was a huge drive, if I remember right. Uh, Gannell had the long pass to Bam Smith on the third down, which got them out of the back of their end zone. So yes. he made a huge throw. Smith made a great catch that helps flip the field on that one. But just. Arizona's offense wasn't exactly consistently good in this game. It was good enough. It made a couple of plays like right before their 10 place, 75 yard drive that it took the lead. The drive before that was 10 place, 33 yards and they punted <laughs> like this. What this was just a strange offensive outing for Arizona for obvious reasons. But no, that that's why normally yeah, you're the home team. You'd say, I'll take my chances in overtime, but this was an Arizona team that scored 20 points. <laughs> and, and seven of them came on a one play, 75 yard bomb where just a blown coverage. So if you don't expect things like that to happen, I would take my chances with a more dynamic quarterback and UCLA again, without DTR, the other guy was, he seemed like he was pretty good actually. Yeah. Austin but Burton, yeah. just, I didn't trust, I didn't trust Arizona and certainly I would never trust Arizona special teams to come through for them. And in this game, they did the punting was great. And Haversick after the one miss made a couple field goals, he was good, mm-hmm. but just, I'm glad we didn't have to find out because, yeah, and again, it comes back to me feeling like this was a must-win, can't-lose game, mm-hmm. and until Arizona had won the game, there was a chance they could lose it. So, you know, when UCLA was driving in their last, before they missed the field goal, I was worried they'd punch it in, sure. that they'd find a blown coverage and tight end behind a linebacker or something almost happened. Like, I, I was worried about that because even if it happened with, say, a minute and a half left in the game, 
I had zero confidence that Arizona could get the ball back and go down the field and win. Because just like Arizona was not scoring more than 20 points unless they had a full quarter to do it. So to me, they certainly weren't going to get to 27 if you said scored a touchdown. So I, I to me, that. like that was that was nerve wracking. It, w- it, w- so, it was no. I you, if you were com- if you were confident, you're a better man than I because I certainly <laughs> was not. So I'll I'll say this. I I. I I trusted the defense enough up to that point that if overtime when push came to shove, uh, that they would be able to keep UCLA out of the out, out of the out of the end zone. Excuse me. I mean, there's no. I mean, obviously at this point there, there'll be no proving it. It just felt like they had done enough up to that point to feel good about the chances. I 100% agree with what you said. If they had to go the length of the field, had UCLA been able to punch in a touchdown and there, and there was no overtime in play where we'd have been down by four, we would have had to have gone into the end zone. Uh, I it wasn't going to happen. I, there was nothing to suggest. There was a fluky play um, that resulted in the Bam Smith 75-yard wheel route to the house. Other than that, I mean, there was a nice drive in there, but uh, it, it was just kind of a lot of stalling out. I, I just felt overall that you know there was enough momentum in place defensively, and Grant Gannell and Noel Mazzoni had figured out things uh, against UCLA's defense enough that within the shortened field, they'd be able to sneak that out. Thank God we didn't have to see yeah. it, though. I mean, that's definitely, I mean, yeah, it, it would have been nerve-wracking for sure, especially, you know, this is a much higher-stakes game, I feel like, for Arizona than it was for UCLA. At this point, I mean, yes, UCLA could have won, and they would be 2-0 and in the conference. They'd be 2-3 and overall, but 2-0 and in the conference, that was pretty good, right? Um, but Arizona Arizona, I mean, obviously their season is much more live when you're talking about, uh, I, I guess, just the horizon and postseason aspirations. But Adam, yeah, let, let's just let's just jump right to, to that missed field goal. I mean, this whole thing that we're talking about uh, did not happen. No overtime because of the missed field goal. When I was watching that, Adam, my first thought was they're going to ice him, but do you just let him kick it because he's going to be expecting the ice? You know, like it's such a, a mind game going on out there. Like, I don't know, yeah. you know, and, 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 and it was beautifully executed, right? They waited to the last possible second to call that timeout. UCLA got the snap off the kicker, got, got his attempt, uh, looked good. And then, of course, coming out of the timeout, lo and behold, pushes it right. And here we are talking about a beautiful victory, a hard-fought victory, 2017 uh, Arizona. Walk me through. I mean, obviously, icing him in that case was the correct job, right? I mean, there's no other way to put that. That was the correct call by Kevin Sumlin, beautifully executed. Um, but, I mean, that that's like... I can't believe you missed that, though, right? I mean, that's like, I know, I know we always talk about college kickers. Oh, I but like, can. That, that's, that's, I'm kind of surprised he missed that. I'm not. It's a 39-yard field goal, and you said college kickers. Like, that's it. This is a guy who made less than 74% of his kicks last season. He was 14 and 19, and he was 2 of 2 between 30 and 39 yards, uh, 6 of 8 between 40 and 49. Like, this wasn't a chip shot field goal, mm-hmm. and it's not like Molson's one of the best kickers in the country. And the point thing about icing a kicker is like, like you said like do you do you not do it because he thinks you're going to do you do it then do you do it again <laughs> you know and yeah. if, if he misses no matter what you did it was the right move because he misses the first attempt and you don't call the timeout it's like ah he was you were in his head he thought he was going to have to it wasn't going to count anyway and in this case he made the first kick it didn't count then he missed the second one so you know, i'll give someone credit because it's a strategy and in this case it worked but I'm not going to say he missed it because of the icing. I'm going to say he missed it because he's a college kicker who's not one of the best in the country. So whatever the case, but like, and that's the thing. Like Lucas Haversick was lining up for that kick. Would you feel confident he was going to make it either? Only uh, if it can, was from 45 or beyond. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so that that's how I saw this. And like I did feel a sense of relief when they ended up having to settle for the field goal because like, okay, they're not gonna win the game on this play. You say it right. Like Arizona's either gonna be tied or they're gonna win the game if he misses. So there's something to be said for just a little bit of being at ease there when it's not a single play where if it goes in, game over and you lose. So watching it was like that, but yeah, the timeout, of course, I'm glad he called it after he made the first attempt, but you know, so whether, I don't know if he iced him, Molson will be the one to have to tell you that he'll probably just say that he messed up his mechanics or something went wrong. It's a kick, but yeah. if it was a 25 yard kick, I might be more inclined to believe something like that, but it was a 39 yarder. It wasn't a chip shot. You know, he's two of four on those kicks now this season. So he was only what two of three going up to that point. So 66, 67% if you want to round up. So it's not like he was automatic from that spot. And of course, in that moment, there's pressure on the guy. So to that extent, except would argue when he makes the practice kick, it just gives him more confidence. Like, yeah, just do the exact same thing over. You can make the kick. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what was going through his head. I don't know if the nerves got to him. I don't know if the icing had anything to do with it, but no matter what, he missed the kick. And for Arizona's place, you can see their reactions that either going to be, even if Arizona was a zero win team, or if they were, this was the end of the last game of the season, they're still going to be that excited about winning, but it was almost like they haven't been able to celebrate like that on a final second play in so long. So just the relief and knowing that they're on a three game winning streak that they just won their PAC 12 opener. And I know the ESPN broadcast made mention many times about how, if you say one, they'd be atop the PAC 12 in the South. It's like, but what if Arizona wins? Do you guys want to talk about them? And yeah. like, I had some other thoughts on the, the ESPN broadcast in that one. Um, Mostly that Felton apparently is the best player in college football <laughs> because the way they talk to him, it's like, why wasn't he in the game? Because if he was in the game, you say it would be unstoppable. And to the extent that why wasn't he in the game? I don't know. Yeah. But I heard his name. They kept showing it's like, come on, just come on. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. If you could go back, it was a Felton drinking game for a guy who had who what, carried the ball six times, caught the ball twice. If you had a drink for every time you heard his name mentioned on that broadcast, you're dead. So, but that's notwithstanding, there's just such a big moment for Arizona. And you mentioned that you said it, I think it's true is that this was a, such a big game for Arizona because yeah, you win this, you're three and one, your season is a whole different mindset for UCLA. Yeah. It would have been okay. They're now two and oh in the pac 12 and they're not going to win the South and Arizona's not going to win the South either. But for the wildcats now being three and one with this one under their belt. Now, granted, they haven't won the road yet this season. But yeah. for now, being 3-1 and one and winning with their defense the last two weeks. Their last two games, they've won with the defense. And for a group that needed some confidence, especially the way that people were talking about them and they were looking after the NAU game, and they'd said, oh, we think we can do this. You know, we're better than you think. And you're going to be surprised and saying good things about us after Texas Tech. And they've gone out there and backed it up. And maybe Texas Tech isn't a great offense. Maybe UCLA certainly isn't a great offense. But still, we've seen Arizona's defense give up a lot more points to some pretty bad offenses in the past. So for me, looking at that, the way this game went and the fact that they got to win a last-second play game where that went their way finally. I don't know if you can underestimate that. And of course, they got a tough one against Colorado this week. But just to be three and one, which shoot, Arizona hadn't been above five hundred in the Kevin Sumlin era until they beat Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. But to be three and one, one and zero oh in the Pac-12, you won a game here that you couldn't afford to lose, and now like Colorado, you're not supposed to win that game necessarily. So now you're the underdog. You get to kind of have that maybe go in and play a little bit looser, but if nothing else, play with a lot more confidence because of how this last game went. You went, you played UCLA, a Pac-12 team, with a true freshman quarterback, without your starting running back. Your defense stepped up, 
and your offense did just enough, and you won the game. I, I don't know how they're not feeling good about how they couldn't feel good about themselves right now going forward. So, Adam, let, let's go ahead and pivot to more player-specific talk here, right? And actually, uh, r- real quick, uh, you bring up a very good point with the Demetric Felton. He did something to piss off one of the coaches because he – I mean, obviously he was healthy, right? Like, I, there was nothing that I saw when he had the ball in his hand to suggest that he was injured and, and why his time was limited was injury-related. Not sure what was going on. Uh, but you know what? I'll, I'll take it because he's obviously a matchup nightmare, and we saw that yes. uh, against Washington State. And even at times, well, he was uh, in the game. Now, obviously, he wasn't, you know, uh, you know, going off in this game. But he only touched the ball eight times, so it, it was. Uh, I mean, I think enough. Uh, I saw enough. I'm glad he wasn't in the game. Switching over. I mean, obviously, we know Grant Gano's final stat line: twenty nine or forty four, three hundred fifty two yards. Only one touchdown, but Adam, I think the biggest thing was no interceptions. He did a very good job uh, of taking care of the ball. The 44 attempts are somewhat skewed because uh, they did count those those Brian Castile jet sweeps as passes. And I mean, I guess technically because the ball is going forward, uh, they have to count as as a as a forward pass. Um, but you know, whatever. Yeah, obviously, you'll take it. I think another thing too, the offensive line did a very good job of protecting Grant Cannell, and also Grant Cannell. I felt like flashed a little bit at times about you know he only sacked twice, um, probably two more than you'd like. But you know what? I think at times he's going to hold on the ball a little bit longer than he should. True freshman stuff, right? But I think overall too, he did flash. I'm pretty sure what he picked up at least one first down and like a. Uh, like a four yard run something he showed some pretty good awareness about the about the pocket collapsing scrambling around just staying alive keeping the play alive uh it, it was it was really nice to see um uh, uh, moving on i guess to the to, to the running backs adam of course no jj taylor uh this was a situation where luckily you know we have bam smith gary brightwell they combined for 13 rushes and 68 yards the lone score from Bright, gary brightwell Nathan Tilford sighting, Adam. Nathan Tilford had a nice little 28-yard gallop there. And actually, it was at a time of need, too, when we really needed to pick up a first down and, and kind of start flipping the, uh, flipping the field position a little bit. Michael Wiley, not so much there. Um, but, you know, overall, I think, you know, UCLA, I, I guess I, I'm not really too sure what to think of that. I mean, I, th- I think the game plan was pretty simple, right? Um, they were going to make Grant Gunnell throw the ball. And clearly that was the, uh, that was the case, right? He had to throw it 44 times. Uh, UCLA made it very clear that they were not going to let Arizona beat them on the ground. And I think these numbers suggest it. He completed passes uh, to two, four, six, uh, eight, nine, nine different receivers. Uh, I, it, it was just overall, it was just a really good game plan. I thought Noel Mazzoni, bravo on this one, Adam, overall, what stands out to you from the box score? Uh, pretty much everything you just said, like everyone who watched the game, if you look at the stats and this is one of those games where Gunnell 29 of 44 for three fifty two a touchdown, no interception. You're like, Oh, that's a really good game. And he was fine. He made a couple of really big throws. I forget there was one. I think it might have been to Castile where he avoided pressure and a big third down. Like he made some plays. He seemed to be – he got more comfortable as the game went on, which mm-hmm. was what you wanted to see from him. Um, the thing that I guess stood out to me, and this is in a negative way, if I'm going to take something out, this was that they couldn't get the running game going. Right. And sure, and overall, some of the things like Gunnell's running, he has – Technically, in the box score, six K zero yards. That hurts the average. But outside of Tilford and his long run, the 28-yard run, and Brightwell had one 17-yard run. So let's look at Brightwell. He had the 17-yard run on one play, which means he had six carries for 16 yards otherwise. 
Like, uh, you know, Darius Bam Smith had a 16-yard run. You take that away, he had five carries for 19 yards, a little bit less than four yards a carry. So they had a couple of big runs, each of them, but just the offensive line was not getting a push in the run game. And I know UCLA has some pretty good defensive line, man. I get that. Mm-hmm. But just Arizona, they're going to face better defenses than UCLA. Now, maybe having Khalil Tate and his ability to run changes things. Like, not even maybe. It does. So that was the thing where you said maybe Khalil Tate's there. Their defense isn't doing what they're not crashing on the handoff so hard because they're afraid that Tate might pull the ball out. Like that, that's an absolute truth. So that is something to keep in mind when looking at this. But just watching the game, I wanted more push from the offensive line. But otherwise, box score, Canelo did a good job of spreading the ball around. And you watch the game. He never really put the ball in danger. He, he missed on a couple of throws, Some most of them early. He was great in the fourth quarter. So this was a case where the defense was really good and the offense did just enough. You know, it was a one, you say had one turnover, Arizona had none. And I guess Arizona would have had, you could have set some turnovers on downs if they hadn't gone those generous spots. But just Arizona did not any, like they did as much as they needed to do to win this game and not a bit more offensively. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a new way to win. It's not as exciting as some ways are when you're dropping 40-something points a game. But for a game like this, and that's where you talked about Mazzoni, he deserves a lot of credit. Everybody, like I said, was blasting him for not running the ball more. It's like, and for what reason? Just to run the ball. Yeah, it's not <laughs> if working. If you trust Goodell, and he's, if, he's not, if he's not putting the ball in danger, he's making safe throws, accurate throws. And even if it's a running play or a passing play that picks up four yards, five yards, that's way better than handing the ball off into the middle of the line and gaining a yard, mm-hmm. getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage. So uh, this one was managed well by the quarterback. It was called well by the offensive coordinator. Just if you wanted a game that made you say the coaching staff, because there's a lot of people who doubt this coaching staff, and with pretty good reason up to this point, but this was a type of game plan, offensively, defensively, where you feel like, you know what, Arizona... They were on the right side of this one. And because talent-wise, it's hard to say they were the more talented team in this game, especially missing what Arizona was missing. But yet, they still were in the game long enough to find a way to win it. And again, with this box score, it's not the most exciting box score we've seen from Arizona, but it was enough. And enough is plenty fine in a game like this. It was definitely a way of winning that we are not accustomed to. And that makes back-to-back games. So now it's starting to turn into a little bit of a pattern. So, you know what, hats off to Noel Mazzoni, as I mentioned, but also to Marcel Yates. Two straight games coming off the bye week. Big, big win. Three and one looks a hell of a lot better than two and two, especially against an opponent uh, like UCLA. Uh, Adam, as, as I mentioned... And then suddenly, too, mm-hmm. Hawaii's looking... A lot God. better now than we realized. And you look and say, oh, Arizona lost you know, by a yard maybe if they would have scored and then gone for two and one. That's not going to be a bad loss by the time the season it's is not. over. And I don't know if Arizona has a good win yet. I don't know if Texas Tech is going to be considered a good win. I have, especially without their quarterback, without Bowman, I have yeah. doubts. Mm-hmm. But still, Arizona is that close to being 4-0. and And their one loss is to a team that is going to beat a lot of teams this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... We were all, everyone wanted to just, throw, you know, jump off a bridge when Arizona lost to Hawaii. And based on what we had seen the previous season, how the previous season sure. finished and how that game went, it was just like, oh, here we go again. But what, what if Hawaii ends up being an eight-win, nine-win team this season? Mm-hmm. You know, if that's the case, then you're looking at Arizona and say, Arizona went on the road in a week zero game, hostile environment, and had a chance. Yeah. So maybe Arizona's, if Hawaii is better than we all thought, then maybe Arizona is too. Yeah, no, I think I definitely think that's fair. And, you know, I think, right, because and we've talked about this before, I, I'm I'm in the camp that there's no such thing as a good loss. And I'm not suggesting that you're saying that was a good loss. Um, but but I think what it comes down to is there's a bad loss. 
UCLA at home, that would have been a bad loss. Uh, yes. Hawaii on the road, that's a respectable loss, I think. And then especially as more of the season unfolds, I think more and more people will buy into that idea too. Because you know what? And, and, and also the farther away we get from that loss, it helps too, right? Because you start winning more games, you start stringing together longer win streaks or, you know, like uh, b- b- bigger patches of wins, right? Five of six or five in a row. So, you know, like it just looks a lot better too. And, and obviously um, just the psyche of the team, all of that definitely matters as well. So, oh, yeah. Um, so Adam, let, let's go ahead. Uh, we, we, we left, as mentioned, we're going to leave the Colorado preview uh, up for grabs or not up for grabs, but uh, up for grabs between <laughs> Bryant and Rob. So we'll let them handle this one. Um, but as far as our predictions go, let's go ahead. Uh, two scenarios and let's make this quick because we got to run over to the red and blue uh, uh, scrimmage as well. Two scenarios. Scenario A is, and, and I, I don't want to discount J.J. Taylor, but just for simplicity, two easy scenarios. Tate plays. Tate does not play. What is your prediction in both scenarios for, oh, for, for the Colorado game? This is such a tough game to even think about yeah. because, and even with Khalil Tate, if Khalil Tate's absolutely healthy, then Arizona's pro- and also Colorado has their own injury issues. Is Chenault going to play, for instance? Right? right. Like this is a Colorado's coming off a bye week. They, when we last saw them, they beat ASU in Tempe. That was a good win. It's beautiful. They, this is a team that beat Nebraska at home. So they they've won some big games. I don't ever trust them, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like I, I guess even with Khalil Tate, I'm not sure I can pick Arizona win, to win this game because it is on the road. And that was kind of my logic against Texas Tech and against UCLA was that this game being at home. I give the edge to Arizona. This game, I don't think Colorado's particularly more talented than Arizona is. And I know the last time Arizona was up there, Khalil Tate had himself a day. But I'll say if Khalil Tate does play, oh, I'll say 38 to 33. Hey. I don't know how I got to 33, but I'll say Colorado wins that game. It's close. Oh. And if Gunnell plays, then I'm going to say 42 to 24 oh, Colorado wins. What a bummer. I, I, okay, fine. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a road game. Colorado has that week off that extra time to prepare. And I guess I want to see errors. Uh, one thing when I talked to ASU friends, I'm like, well, who's the best quarterback you guys have beaten this year? Right. Like they, they beat Cal, but they are missing their quarterback right. for the second half of that game. Yeah. And they were losing at halftime otherwise. And otherwise they haven't been the best quarterback is the Michigan state guy. He's not great. No, he's not. But you all. could turn around and you could turn on and say the same thing for Arizona right now. So until they beat a really good quarterback and Montez would classify, you know, he'd qualify as a, he's yeah. a good quarterback, a good pack quarterback. And especially being on the road. Now, if Arizona wins this game, like, and I remember I wrote an article in my, Hey, if Arizona beats UCLA, they'll earn some believers. And I believe Arizona is a pretty good football team. But I also believe that Colorado is. And when there's two teams of similar stature going against each other, I'm going to take the home team. So that that's what I that's what I got for you. I think that's fair. Um, if if Tate plays um, and, and he, I mean, if he plays, that means he's healthy enough to play. Right. I mean, this coaching staff yeah. is shown, especially after what he went through last year, that they are not going to mess around. Like if he can't play, he's not going to play like we, we've had enough of that. Um, I, I, th- I do think if he plays that Arizona will win. Um, I did notice that the over under is set at 64. Um, and then the line is actually Colorado minus four. And I don't know how much of that actually has to do with Tate's, uh, injury and, you know, just his, his availability in question. Um, but I do believe just that, uh, that there has been one team now, now, of course, Cleo Tate has not played in the last two years, 
many teams twice. Uh, he's played, uh, you know, USC twice, not, you know, hasn't worked out uh the first time he put up some put up some some pretty uh video game good looking stats you know last year not so much he was pretty banged up colorado is another team that he has played twice and he has frankly dominated both times uh he has oh, yeah. accumulated over a hundred excuse me over 850 total yards and 10 total touchdowns and i this this colorado defense i understand the elevation and stuff that's going to play into this um, but I think that Colorado's defense is just frankly not that good. And I think that Arizona's defense is on this upward trajectory that's going to keep going at this point. Now, I really hate to subscribe and hitch my wagon to this just after two games. Um, but I will say I'm cautiously optimistic that this is that this is a trend like this is this is going to continue. Now, you mentioned Steven Montez. He is a good quarterback. And, you know, Robin Bryant will break all that stuff down on the nitty gritty. Um, getting back to my question, scenario A, Tate plays, scenario B, Tate does not play i think we win scenario a we lose scenario b uh, score as to what i mean i would say i, I think the 42 I, I think the 42 24 might be a little too high um I, I i could see a little bit more in the range of like 28 17 something like that um because i do trust that the defense will be able to keep them in check a little bit because i don't necessarily think that colorado has a very strong running game at this point um but if quill tate plays i mean i'm i feel pretty good um that that, that they'll take care of business so we will wait. Oh, and I'm see. not going to argue with you. I, mm-hmm. I see that world, and obviously I want to see that world where you're right. But it's just, do we know? We've seen Arizona lose, and I'm going to say that. Hawaii was a pretty good team that Arizona lost to, so it's not a bad loss. Yep. But, and Texas Tech seemed like a pretty good win, and it probably is. And UCLA is a pretty good win, but those were at home. Yes. So to me, if Arizona can go on the road and win this game, and it's winnable, right? Before the season started, I would have had them beating Colorado. Yep. So I'm not, you know, I, it's, I don't think Colorado's a great football team. No. I just don't think Arizona's better than them talent-wise. And injuries are going to play a role in this game. Who Arizona's missing, who Colorado's missing, that's absolutely going to factor into this one. Mm-hmm. And, and if Chenault doesn't play, I know he didn't play against Arizona last season, that helped <laughs> in that yep. game, too. So I'm, you don't like to see guys get be hurt, but if they need want to be hurt and miss this game for Colorado, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. But it's just hard for me to predict them to go on the road and win. Now, of course, if Arizona goes on the road and wins this game with Tate or Gunnell, actually, it doesn't really matter who, if Arizona wins this game, then I don't think you have any choice but to believe in them, especially if the defense plays well. If they hold Colorado to 20 points, 21 points, something like that where it's not a shootout, and Arizona wins, then you have every reason to think that they have to get out a combination on defense and that this team is good. Yeah. But that's where this game comes in. Like, they've done enough. They've won the games they were supposed to win up to this point especially the last two, but can they go win a game that they're maybe not supposed to win? Fair. And that's what you want to see. So that's what you're, that's what you're asking for. That's your predicting if yep. Tate plays and it's not outlandish. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely not. That's the reason that the line is as close as it is. No one is buying that Colorado is some great football team yeah. where Arizona is some terrible one, but it's just close enough to where you say, give the edge to the home team. But that doesn't mean that Khalil Tate, if he's healthy, can't run right through that edge. He did it two years ago. So, I, I like where your head's at. I like what you're saying. I, don't, I'm, I can't call you wrong. I'm just not ready to make that prediction yet myself. Hey, f- very fair. Very fair. So, um, Adam, let's go ahead and pivot over to the red and blue scrimmage. Um, but before we do, let's take a, another break to hear from a few more of the sponsors. 
All right, Adam. So we obviously had some basketball down in Tucson over the weekend. Yes. Friday night, uh, we got to we got to see this highly touted uh, recruiting class in play uh, in action. And you know what? I, of course, it was the intra squad scrimmage. Um, so I mean, this at this point, you know, this team really hasn't been practicing that long together. But there is still a level of familiarity. Um, Adam, let's go ahead and actually break down what the teams were. So I have it up here um, for. For the red team, uh, it was Nico Mannion, uh, Max Hazard, uh, Ira Lee, Corey Jones, Jake DeSargens, Josh Green, and then I'm missing somebody, uh, Zeke Naji. Yep, Zeke Naji. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, on the other side, the blue side, Dylan Smith, Stone Gettings, Devin Air Dutrieve, Christian Coloco, um, Jamal Baker, who we will get to in a moment, and then uh, Jordan Brown, of course, too, right? So, uh, so Adam, as far as on paper, when, when, when you looked at this and, and they were introducing all the players and you saw them coming out of the tunnels and you kind of started seeing, you kind of started seeing the, uh, you know, like the red team and then the, the blue team, you start to think, holy cow, the red team is way more talented than the (laughs) blue team. Like, why would you do that? And you start thinking like, well, I guess because that's probably the starting rotation. You want them to build some some familiarity. Uh, One item to note as well, Chase Jeter did not play. He had had, um, a little... I guess what was a, a, a little groin tug, was it a groin whatever. injury, yeah, something. Yeah. I, I I don't know, whatever. So uh, he sat this one out, and that was just cautious. Um, but as far as you know, getting back to the point, red team far more talented, understood the point. That's probably the first unit you want to see those guys in action. Um, spoiler alert: the blue team took it to the red team, and specifically, oh yeah, they did. Jamal Baker, uh, good lord, I hope that this guy gets cleared by the NCAA because if he does now I understand I mean this is just a scrimmage we've been hyped up on the scrimmages before don't want to put too much into him but this was the first time I actually saw him in action he looked good at him and if he gets cleared you know obviously he's probably not quite Brandon Williams um, but that's just going to be another layer of depth to the backcourt that is lost with Brandon Williams not in there right so um, overall he's out the most to me did fantastic Devin Air Dutrieve's another one uh, that I think really looked good it does seem like maybe he's in line to take a nice step forward Um, overall Let's start with the blue team. That's probably the highlight of the night, right? They just took it to them. Uh, final score, uh, final score, 46-32 blue team. Starting with the blue team, Adam, who stood out to you? Are you Were you high on Jamal Baker, Devin Air Retrieve? Keep going. I mean, who, who else? Are we yes. Have? Stone Gettings looked like a guy who could make a couple shots and kind of be the maybe a better Ryan Luther or a quicker Ryan Luther. Uh, Christian Coloco. We've been hearing about it all camp, or all, like say all camp, like they've been practicing for two weeks, but about how he's better than people thought. And he, you could tell he has the size there. Right? He, yeah. He's going to impact games when he's on the floor. But absolutely, Jamal Baker and Devin Dutrieve were, the, I think, the two best, at least the guards. And Dutrieve was great. He was making shots that he wasn't making last year. He was taking shots he wasn't taking last season. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get too excited about things like this because it is a different role, right? Like he has to shoot the ball more when yes. he's on the floor with. Nico Manning and Josh Green and those guys, is he going to be as assertive offensively? But at the same time, he looked bigger. He looked more assertive. He looked more decisive out there. And every one of us saw that last season. The guy has loads of potential. It's like when he grows into his body and he gets just a little bit more seasoned, how good is he going to be? 
And this might be the beginning of that process where we're seeing him grow as a basketball player, which is why it's so great he decided not to transfer. But Baker, to your point, yeah, if, he, if he's going to be able to play, if they somehow decide, the NCAA decides to go do a nice thing for Arizona basketball and they <laughs> allow him to be eligible, then it's just so much more depth. And he can play defense, he can shoot. He's not Brandon Williams, but he's just another guard, another guy who could help run the offense when Man- when Mannion's in foul trouble or needs a break. So it never hurts to have options, especially when the player they lost was a guard, if Baker can get out there. And Dylan Smith is fine. He shot one of six threes. He's going to be Dylan Smith. Yes. As long as he yes, plays defense, is. has a couple games where he does make a couple threes and help open things up. And so, no, I, the blue team, you look at the box score, you watch the game, it's very easy to see why they dominated this one. They were the more efficient team in because they had Devin Dutrieff, who was, you could argue, the best player on the floor in this game, which is... I don't know if that's a great thing or a terrible thing or something in between, but he looked to be the best player, most in control. And of course he was making shots and that, that helps. He made six of his eight shots, including one of two threes. So, but I was glad to see Gettings look good. I was glad to see Coloco look more polished than people expected. The rest of the guys, even Jordan Brown, he's a big guy. You could tell he was, he seemed a little rusty or at least a little unsure of himself out there, but he's got time to learn the system. He's got time to learn what he needs to learn before he has to play next season. So uh, it was fun watching the blue team because there were guys there that you don't know if Arizona is going to rely on them, but if Arizona has to, you feel a lot better about them after that game. Yeah, there's going to be, I mean, obviously Devin Dutrieve and Dylan Smith will be relied upon as veterans in this one. Uh, Baker, I really, you know, to your point, if they're going to, the NCAA is going to do something nice for us. Um, they probably owe us a little something. I mean, not that they've necessarily done anything. ESPN has done the most, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, would, it would be nice if uh, a little restitution from just the public smearing as far as that's been concerned. But yes, um, you know, the blue team, they never trailed in the game. I mean, that's just how they're, there was uh, a little under two minutes of the game being tied. Um, but for, I mean, for 22 minutes and nine seconds, the blue team led the red team. And again, looking at it on paper, and that's why the game has to be played, right? As, as the old saying goes, uh, you would have never suspected that this would have been the outcome. One thing about Christian Coloco, and I'm with you 100%, and, and we'll kind of get into him comparing him to uh, Zeke Naji, but um, he just looked way more with it than Najee did. And and I know that there was talk and, you know, Don, Don McLean kept talking about like, you know, there, there was, they weren't sure. Sean Miller wasn't sure if Coloco was going to be ready to go. And if he wasn't ready to go, he was going to red shirt. And honestly, that was probably how it was going to go. Uh, but then he showed up and he looked way more ready than, than he would have suspected yeah. than Sean Miller was suspected. Um, I'm 100% with that. I mean, he looked really good and you know what I know, like, you know, he's obviously just a freshman. He's going to grow into that big frame, you know, as time goes on and he's definitely not a one and done player for us. So I'm really excited to see how that goes. Um, but you, you know, something else too, that they kept talking about and him and Cameron back home, you know, growing up playing soccer with the footwork and all of that. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. a whole nother skill set that not a lot of players have, especially, you know, like yeah. uh, American born players. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and compare him to the Greek freak, but that's one of the things that they talk about the Greek freak. And one thing that kind of separates him from other big men and why he's so dynamic because he grew up playing soccer and it's just you know just a different type of uh like a skill set like i said so um yeah no overall i felt like it, it was pretty encouraging to see uh this side of the equation because this side of the equation is not it's not the sexy side right but it's the guys that i do think that are going to be relied upon pretty heavily right 
Um, it's just a lot of veterans on that side. And Stone Gettings, I'm with you. He looked really good. Uh, Adam, let's switch over to the red side, and let's just start with the prize possessions of Nico Mannion and Josh Green. What were your takeaways? Oh, I'm I'm not worried about them at all. Like the size, if that's Arizona's backcourt, Mannion and Green, you can tell the size, the athleticism. Like once they get a little bit stronger and more used to college basketball, they're going to be a good defensive combo. But you could see Mannion's his shot wasn't there. He made only two of seven, one of five threes. But watching the game, I kept thinking, here's a player who's going to be able to get any shot he wants mm-hmm. if he if he wants to. And his three point, he's a better shooter than what we saw in that game. But the way he can control the basketball game, even when his shot isn't falling, some of the passes he made. I know he had three assists in the game, but some of the passes he made, some of the plays he made, you're like, wow, yeah. this guy knows what he's doing. Like he, he's, again, that, that shot's going to, there's going to be games where that shot falls and he makes five of seven or three or five three pointers. And you're like, oh, that's a good game from Nico Mannion. And Josh Green, you could see why everybody's so excited about his defensive ability. Um, very athletic, very long. And I know he's still getting back from the shoulder surgery, so he hasn't been practicing much. So he has to kind of shake some rust off. But, I, and it's just like you don't want to get too excited over something like a, over the scrimmage, over the red-blue game, right. and say, oh, Devin Erdrew team's going to be the best player on the team. At the same time, you don't want to get too down on someone like Manny Green because they weren't maybe as good as you were hoping, and especially for Najee, they weren't as good as you were hoping. But you still can say, okay, what what are the tools that are there? Like, were those tools evident? Yes, Mannion's athletic. He's got great court vision, great sense, and amazing pinpoint passing ability. Green has the length. He has the athleticism. Like the things that they're going to win with, the thing that the things that these players are going to be stars with, those were evident. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't put too much stock into the shots being off. I wouldn't put it much into that just because it's like that happens. Yep. And for these guys, their first time playing on that floor, there's probably some jitters. And you mentioned it, a lot of the veterans were on the blue team. You have the red team. You had one, two, three true freshmen. You had Max Hazard, who was in his first season with the team. He's a transfer. And then Ira Lee. <laughs> I, I think I really turned into a very good player, but he's not the most, the most in control guy Arizona's had over the last couple yeah, of seasons. Right. So in terms of like, there's arguably more talent on the red team. There's definitely more NBA talent on the red team, but just in terms of the experience in a game like this, I guess you look at it, you said that was the sexy side, that side of the lineup, that, that roster, but in a game like this, in a scrimmage where it's like the more in control you can play, the better off you'll be it becomes a little more understandable why they struggle. Because, again, Mannion 2 of 7, that's not going to be normal. Green 3 of 8, that's not normal. Najee's going to be better than 0 for 3 shooting most nights. So, so no, I, I took away that these guys, I see why people are excited about them, even if they weren't great in this game. Yeah, uh, the three that stood out to me, of course, you know, Mannion... Hazard and Green. Now, obviously, you know, if, if you look at the box score, which is what I'm doing right now, uh, and you didn't watch the game, I could definitely understand why you would maybe be a little on edge about that. Um, but let, let me just assure you, I mean, anybody that didn't watch and you're listening to this, um, don't focus on the numbers on in, in the box score. And the reason for that is because Nico Mannion and Josh Green, they definitely had their moments. And you mentioned Josh Green working his way back, rehabbing back from those shoulder surgeries. He's going to have to shake off the rust. Nico Mannion was also trying to find himself first-year guys with the program. I mean, you mentioned, you know, we have first-year college players, but then we also have, as you mentioned, Max Hazard out there too. You know, those guys all just trying to get the feel for each other. Nico Mannion, I don't know if you remember, there was a pass that he had. He was bringing it, he was about half court, took like one step forward and kind of contorted his body like a little bit low enough to direct a pass. I think it was to Max Hazard. To Hazard, yeah. 
It was, and, and credit to Max Hazard, because I honestly don't know how he caught that, because the ball, like, it was perfectly placed, and, I mean, it was just a thing of beauty. I mean, I'm going to try to actually find that and, and tweet it out, uh, re- retweet that out, because, I mean, it was just a thing of beauty. Um, you know, Josh Green flashes athleticism. Obviously, Nico Mannion did as well. Uh, he was one of five from three, um, but, you know, I'm not too worried about that. I mean, I think, like, obviously, that's going to work itself out. Max Hazard was three of six from three. Um, that's kind of, it feels like, Yes, he, he, he has the point guard ability, but we also know, you know, there's been a lot of talk about his three-point shooting ability as well. That's definitely something that this team is going to have to rely on because it's just been absent for the last couple of years. Um, honestly, I, you know, Ira Lee, you expect him to, to, continue, uh, to, to continue building off of what we've seen, you know, last year. I mean, this is his junior season, so you know, expect him to maybe take a leap forward as far as the veteranship is concerned, uh, as far as, you know, making better decisions, not being so out of control, as you mentioned. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one thing, though. Now, I, and, and this is maybe going to lose a little credibility with what I said. Don't put too much <laughs> into, you know, what these numbers are. Um, I'm going to actually pair the numbers for Zeke Naji with what I saw on the court. And it almost seemed like maybe he should be the one red shirting. Now, I, again, you, you, uh. can't, you, you, you can't, you, you can't, based off of what we saw with the scrimmage and everything. I mean, that that's not the definitive thing. And, and this is the first look that we've had with it. It just felt like, and, and maybe he was a little shaken up from, from the dunk contest for anybody that didn't see it, the dunk <laughs> contest, whatever, he was the first participant to go. And he basically face planted trying to jump over two teammates. And it was honestly a scary moment because I was thinking, Jesus Christ, he just broke his wrist, you know, and like he kind of <laughs> would be Arizona's luck. Yeah, seriously. Well, then, and so he gets up, and, you know, he kind of laughs it off and you know, everything's fine, whatever. For all I know, he was maybe just a little sh- shaken from that. He had the uh, he played the national anthem at center court and the piano, which was a beautiful rendition of it. He did a great job with it. Maybe, you know, may- maybe maybe with the piano playing and then him face planning before the game even started, there was just a lot going on. So I'm willing to give him another shot, but Adam, he's definitely on my radar for keeping an eye out. Like uh, it just seemed weird. Finish it with six rebounds. Fine. Um, but you know, 21 minutes of action, but it just seemed like he was, yeah, I don't know. I, I want to see a little bit more before I buy into that piece. But, but you mentioned the rebounds. That's why the stats weren't great. The, uh, the shoot wasn't, but his rebounding was, fantastic he was the second leading rebounder in the game and maybe you can say there's not a lot of other big guys on his team someone had to rebound the basketball but he was still in the game had two assists as well so Mm -hmm. to me like the shot's gonna fall and i one of my biggest takeaways from this game entirely was just the size of this team and Najee's part of that it's a big basketball team it's a big athletic basketball team and but that's going to be the case with some of these freshmen where they're not going to be great all the time yeah, this isn't a team full of DeAndre Aytons. Yeah. <laughs> how many how many freshmen has Arizona had lately come through and just be great right off the bat? Trier, uh, Markinen, Aiton, Alkins was fine, but he wasn't expected to be the man. Gordon, Kobe Stanley Simmons was Johnson. pretty good. Gordon, like, and those are guys who were top ten lottery picks. Yeah. in the NBA. So, and, I, and Najee has the potential to be that, but if we're expecting him, Green, Manning to come in and just be ready to go every single game. That just seems unfair. Yeah. And this was a scrimmage. Like, Najee, the next time we see them, when they play Chico State, he might go out there and be the best player on the floor. I know Miller said that after the scrimmage. He's like, it wouldn't shock him if Najee leads the team in rebounding and points, rebounds and points in their first game. Like, that's, he's that good. Just this wasn't his game offensively. But six rebounds, he wasn't out there pouting. He wasn't out there, you know, <laughs> letting his lack of offense get to him. He found other ways to contribute. Yeah. So, to me, that that's a good thing. And 
there's going to be games, just like how Mannion's going to shoot better than two of seven. Najee's going to shoot better than 0 for three. That's going to be the case. Just he's going to find his way. And maybe the dunk contest rattled him a little bit. I don't know. Like I was just as terrified as you were when he landed. I was like, oh, please don't do that. <laughs> you know, that would be Arizona's luck to lose a guy in the red blue game dunk contest. Yeah. But so that that's how I look at this. It's just like you don't want to get too excited over players in this game because we've seen guys in the past just blow up in the red blue game and then not be very good. I don't think you want to do this. It's the same for if they struggle. You don't want to just all of a sudden, like, you want to keep an eye on Najee because he's a freshman with high expectations. And if he's as good as people think, then Arizona's going to be that much better for it. But I wouldn't be watching with an eye on, huh, maybe he's not as good. He's not as ready as we've heard because, no, he is. <laughs> he is that good. Just he wasn't offensively sharp in this game. And not, not a lot of the guys were. But you mentioned Hazard. I liked watching him really quick. The one thing that stood out to me besides his willingness to shoot the ball, which that's what he came billed as. Mm-hmm. But I know he's the shortest player on the team, and he didn't look that tiny out there. That's fair. To me. Like, like he's, what, six feet tall, but he's a bigger guy. He's a wider. He's not PJC small. So, that, to me, he's going to be able to get his shot off. And in this team, with the slashers they have, with the post presence they have, and, for, of course, when they have Chase Jeter, they'll be a different team all entirely. But Hazard seems like he could easily have a role as a three-point shooter, whether it's as a starter or off the bench. And this team needs three-point shooters. It didn't have really anybody last year who could consistently do that. You have to think that, man, you can be that guy. Hazard should definitely be that guy. Dylan Smith can be that guy every now and then. And Dutreva, if he all of a sudden brought the three-point game into his repertoire, and also Stone Gettings. Like, yes. This team, and I guess to take it full circle, this team, the only thing it seems lacking to me is a really good backup point guard, and that's not their fault. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it has the makeup of pretty much everything you'd want. It has size, it has athleticism, it has shooting, it has youth, it has some veterans. It's, it's not lacking for anything, just from what I've seen from looking at the roster, the box score of this game, watching them play, just the roster page in general. It's not lacking anything other than that third guard that or that other point guard you say, okay, if Mannion gets hurt or gets in foul trouble or just needs a break that you can really rely on. It's not even like there's a – they need a Kadeem Allen type, someone who maybe isn't a point guard by trade but can learn that position and adequately fill it for them. And Baker could be that yeah. guy. Yep. You know, there's talk that Dutrieve might get some run there. So, like, they need something like that, but it's probably hazard right now. And I was worried about him being a little guy, and he didn't strike me as being that little in a game where – I was also thoroughly impressed by Arizona's size. So to me, that's that's the type of thing you take from a game like this. Just what does the roster look like? Less than the stats, just what do they look like? Are they athletic? Are they quick? Are they plotting? Is Coloco just a slow big man who looks like he doesn't get off the ground? Is And none of that was the case for this team. Everyone looked they looked the way I thought they were supposed to, even if they didn't finish, even if they didn't score like we're expecting them to. I'll leave it at this um, and, and bring it back to a point you made earlier about Stone Gettings. There's a chance, and, and I couldn't quite figure out. I mean, it seems like, you know, he, he could be a forward in a small ball set, you know, what, what have you. But it also seemed like he's going to have to have a role. And I, don't, I guess I just don't know how big of a role it's going to be. Um, but he was very impressive uh, with, with his shooting and, and decision making, it seemed like. Um, there's a chance, I mean, he could very well be. He could very well be a wild card throughout this whole thing, and there's nothing wrong with some depth. With a guy that can perimeter, right? Some three and D perimeter presence. There's nothing wrong with that. I feel like you can't have too many of those. Um, and, and I guess I'm trying to just figure this out because, again, as mentioned, Chase Jeter didn't play. 
counting out, I mean, how many guys are actually going to get time? Obviously, Nico Mannion, Josh Green, that's two, right? Uh, Max Hazard's going to get time. Ira Lee's going to get time. Chase Jeter, uh, that's five. Uh, Dylan Smith, Devonair Dutrieve, that's six and seven. Stone Gettings would be eight. After that, I mean, I, then then you're probably splitting hairs between Coloco and Najee. So, I mean, I guess I mean, you could say 9 and 10, but it's really probably like one spot is going to be between the two of them. Uh, I would hate to see a scenario when they're both on the floor at the same time, just because I don't, that would seem kind of weird. But um, J- J- Jamal Baker would, would be the wild card here. And if he, if he plays, if he is eligible this year, you were talking about legitimately 11 guys, but really like 10 spots, right? Because we get back to the idea that Coloco and Najee are basically the same person, but they're just splitting time. You're talking about 10 guys, and that is a solid rotation, a lot of diversity. Oh, they're not going to play that. 10 guys. Sean Miller's not going to play 10 guys. He's, he's done it Not he's willingly. Done it <laughs> well, that, that, but go on, sorry. No, 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 that, that's fine. I mean, we've seen it most recent now. I guess you could go back to, I mean, the last time we really saw it, I guess, was, was that the year when Wichita State just destroyed us, right? So if you think about, like, the end result, that didn't work out. And obviously, Alonzo Trier broke his hand or wrist or whatever it was throughout that whole stretch. But he was rotating 9, 10 guys that season, and we got as high as the top 10. Now, he, he he's flashed before. Like, if it's there, he's going to do it. Um, and I guess, I mean, that's that's maybe maybe the point, right? Like, if you're in a situation where you have basically 10, a rotation of 10 spots but it's but it's really like 11 guys so people are probably going to just by i mean just by the process of elimination how many how many minutes are available who's going to be left out or shorted on minutes and it's going to be interesting to see if stone gettings is one of those guys yeah and that's the thing like the, the beauty of the depth and i don't know going to have a 10-man rotation but the depth allows you to deal with foul trouble allows you to deal with injuries in a way that they weren't able to last season. When Brandon Williams was out, this team was it wasn't really good with him, but it was that much worse without him. When Chase Jeter went down, remember how bad they were without him. In this case, you feel outside of Nico Mannion, and like you don't want to lose Josh Green, you don't want to lose Najee, you don't want to lose some of these guys to injury, but you feel at least long term. If there's a long term injury, you're probably in trouble. But you have a feeling that okay, if Josh Green had to miss a game or two. Dutrieff could come in there and maybe pick up some of those minutes. That if Najee had to miss a game or two or Jeter had to miss some time, Coloco could go out there and be productive. Gettings could be productive. And there will also be those games where Gettings plays and he makes a couple of ease as a stretch for, rebounds a little bit, and he's important for you. Like That's the other thing, not just injuries, where if a guy's not playing well, then he comes in just like Dylan Smith is, where if he comes in, he's hot, and he makes a couple of shots, it changes your entire team. So to me, like that's why I say like this team isn't missing. There's so much depth on it, and the rotation will sort itself out. I don't think sure. they're going to play ten, mm-hmm. eight for sure, maybe nine, depending on situations. Early on in the season, they'll play more just because they'll be able to. Yeah, but you'll start to see that rotation thin out a little bit. But that doesn't mean that players won't get run. Like there might be a ninth guy, or a tenth guy who gets five minutes here and there just to see if they're playing well, or just you know when someone else is struggling, or if there's foul trouble. But certainly, this team has enough players where you feel like they should be able to get through pretty much anything because again there's 10 guys 11 guys there's just if Najee's not playing well if he has a game like he did in red blue where he can't shoot the ball straight you have stone getting to come in there 
and maybe fill the power forward spot for you and things like that. Ira Lee can do that. So that's why I think that it's exciting to watch this team to see the makeup of this team. And again, if they have Brandon Williams, it's that much different and that much better, but even without him, and especially if Baker is ruled eligible to play, this team has size. It has potentially been think shooting. It has rebounding ability to play defense. It has depth. It has athleticism. Like they're not going to be the best team in college basketball, but they're going to be one of the best teams in college basketball, assuming these freshmen get up to speed quickly. But there's also the extent that early on they may not need the freshmen to be superstars because you'll have guys like Ira Lee and you'll have Dutrieve and you have Stone Gettings and you have Smith, players who have experience at this level. You'll have Hazard, guys who can maybe help carry that load a little bit while Mannion, Green, Najee are getting more up to speed and up to the college game. Yep. Yep. Very true. I I agree. So we'll see how all this shakes out. There's going to be obviously. And and one thing to note, too, um, for anyone that was concerned about the rust or the final score, Sean Miller did mention after the game, too, that this game was actually played two weeks earlier than it normally is. So there has been, you know, two weeks less practice time than we're accustomed to seeing so this whole thing is going to continue to gel obviously and that's why you have these type of tune-up games so uh adam uh let's go ahead and wrap this thing up we're running a a little bit over time here so apologies to anybody who's who's on who's on the uh the the tight 60 minute schedule for these things but um uh be sure to listen to the bryant and rob colorado preview that will be released later this week um anybody who's traveling the game be safe have fun uh we're going to go back to our normal Normal rotation of uh, I will be, I guess this time next week we will be previewing Washington. So hopefully we're talking about a four and one team because uh, I don't feel too good about our chances in that one, even though it is at home and Arizona's <laughs> three and zero at home. But um, but yes, yeah, so hopefully everyone enjoys everyone enjoyed this. Thanks for listening. Be sure again to keep an ear out for Bryant and Rob with the Colorado preview, and we'll catch you next week. Bear down. <laughs>